questions up front about format or anything? Nope. Just lead us where you want to lead us. Lead us. All right. I guess <laughs> I I am the dungeon master. No, I am the maze controller oh. for this podcast. And welcome everybody to Tom Hanks Giving. This is a far out podcast. And uh, I'm your host, Elvis. Today, I'm joined by two very special guests. Uh, guys, why don't you introduce yourselves? Hey, I'm Chris. Uh, I'm, a, I'm Elvis's co-worker. How you doing? I'm David Cope, and me too. And uh, these guys are especially special guests today because they were the very first people, in fact, the only people, I ever went to play Dungeons and Dragons with. Oh, that's right. We and broke your cherry. Yes, you did. You broke my D&D cherry. And, uh, of course, I thought that was the most appropriate context to talk about the movie Mazes and Monsters, 1982, directed by uh, Stephen Hillard Stern, written by Tom Lazarus, adapted from Rana Jaffa. I have no idea if that's correct. Rana Jaffe's novel uh, of the same name, based on a... Well, it wasn't actually what happened, but to this guy, James Dallas Egbert III, that's a, that's a full mouthful of a name, uh, in 1979, kind of went crazy, and uh, they suspected that Dungeons & Dragons created this psychosis. And back at this time in the early 80s, there was this whole paranoia that your kids were playing D&D, and they're going to go crazy, and they're going to literally stab other kids, and it's going it's, to... It's basically was drugs. What a luxurious complaint to have given that today parents would probably kill to have their kids away from the screen like using their imagination like, totally yeah oh our kids are like in a room just communicating oh my god with each they're other. not like they don't have their faces on a screen yeah already. yeah what a like a what a shift but anyway and they have to be actually in the room together that's yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll be making these savvy comparisons to distant times all night long, ladies and gentlemen. My name's David Cope. We're just getting started. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I thought there was no better guests to talk about um, monster, or rather, mazes and monsters, uh, and how we'll get into how it compares to actual D and D uh, and all that stuff. But uh, up first, oh, and of course, I have to mention this is. Tom Hanks' very first starring role in any yeah. feature film. Uh, he was only 26 here. He's a little baby. And uh, we'll talk, of course, about his performance. But first, I'm going to start with the story. Uh, who wants to give a brief summary? You know, n real quick, like maybe a paragraph to three. Chris Lamb, you Go up? for it. Go sure. For it. Um, what God. happens in Monsters and Mazes? Okay. Sorry, so Mazes and I keep screwing up the title. It's Mazes and Monsters because Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Um, okay, so um, in a nutshell, um, Tom Hanks is a nerd, mm -hmm. and um, he got transferred because of some incident uh, to like a lesser college, like what's considered lesser college, I guess. Yeah. Maybe. And and um, this group of of three mazes and monsters players that all come from different walks of life, kind of. Um, they they ask him to join his game, and at first he's really apprehensive about it. But he ends up having a lot of fun with them, and um, and he gets into a relationship with the only girl in the group. Well, one thing I will say up front uh, that I did like about well, the hold movie. Hold on, hold on. I think I can give, let me give a shot at a summary. Go for it. I think Sorry. I can give a real broad. Sure. Basically, it's the beginning of the school year. A handful of kids come together, and they start playing Mazes and Monsters. And this movie is about how uh, one individual... Uh, doesn't deal with it well, experiences some kind of psychosis via the game, 
and the movie kind of follows the depths of his delusions uh, to ultimately a tragic ending. Yeah. That's that's basically that's probably yeah. a better summary than mine. And which which uh, makes sense to, for some further context. This was a TV movie uh, that aired on CBS uh, actually on December twenty eighth. So this is right after Christmas, right before New Year's, kids. Right. Wow. Um, and it was intended to be a cautionary tale, sort of almost like an after school special. Uh, you would the deceiving thing about the cover is if you're looking at it and you see the maze on the cover. If you, I don't know if you remember the visual on the cover, yes, but basically yes. you're thinking it's going to be kind of like fun, or we're going to get into some monsters. Yeah, you actually expect it to be like a fantasy You film. expect it to be a fantasy, and it is It is much more like the exploration of a mentally ill person. Yeah, which is also funny, too, because on that, because there's two different covers, that specific one you were referring to, where it has like the big labyrinth in the background. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You yeah. expect it to be like a Jim Henson's labyrinth, yeah. or, or maybe like an early... No, obviously not to the scale of the Lord of the Rings, but something like that. Yeah, just but for... uh, even Tom Hanks on that cover is an older Tom Hanks, so he's more recognizable. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. You're right. They're I just totally cashing in on the Hanks on the Hanks cachet. Wow. Um, but uh, that's a great way to put the to summarize the movie. I'd have to say, because I, I want to put out a couple of things to the movie's credit. I do have to say, for for to the movie's credit, each of these four characters is kind of coming from. A relatively original place. They're not all coming from the same place. Yeah. Uh, Tom I love Hanks that. is kind of a burnout, uh, burnout nerd. And then we have Daniel, who's like this good looking guy everybody assumes is all put together, but he's uh, apparently he's. You a know, your guy. standard D&D player, incredibly handsome blonde guy. Yeah. <laughs> Super standard. I see them all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's the kind of guy that plays, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I'm looking at David Cope right now, and that's, that's what I you, see. You are that's the Daniel of this group. Guys, listen. I mean, your hair is like quaffed exactly like his. I was in costume as Daniel for this podcast. <laughs> That's true. You and, guys... and I, I have to pull out a, a quote from Katie that she says to Daniel now um, uh, in re- regards to you, Mr. David Cope. Uh, I was always afraid to get involved with you because you were so attractive. That's that's real writing. And then I will go ahead and uh, emulate Daniel's in-movie response, if you remember. Remember, it was just a smile and it went something like this. <laughs> there are Unfortunately, f- our listeners couldn't experience that, but but they can me, feel it. They'll there feel are, it. There are quivers, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> but yes, uh, so the, so we have the the very pretty boy D and D player, a very classic archetype of D and D players, uh, who's very good at coding, but he's he longs to be more of a, a game creator, which is interesting because like halfway through the movie, he stops being the main game master. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, uh, and totally. Then, then there's uh, JJ, uh, who is a prodigy. Of sorts? He's the yeah, he's a child prodigy because he's like 17 and he's going to college, and his mom apparently is dating a young writer or some. some that's where he's getting all his all of his money. Um, and uh, the best thing about JJ, I think, is that he's wearing a different hat in every scene. Yeah, um, that was a nice touch. Uh, You've got to know that he's quirky. Yeah. yeah. He's like the nerd, the classic. He's, he's the ultra, the uber yeah. nerd. But but the weird thing was, like, he was super popular, too, because he would throw multiple parties at this college, and there yeah. were dozens of people there. Not what you'd expect from a hardcore D&D yeah, player. Yeah, seriously. Uh, I think it has to be because his he's rich, and everybody wants a little piece of that cash cow. Yeah. Um, That's true. And then uh, rounding out is our, our single female uh, character in the movie, outside of Mom's. <laughs> um, is uh, Kate, and who 
I I swore sometimes went by Katie in the movie. Do you guys remember that discrepancy, or is it just me? Oh, I don't. I don't I remember. Don't. I I swear they called her Katie a couple times. Maybe, but, but she goes by Kate for the most part, uh, and she is a. I thought she had a relatively relatively dimensioned character, at least at the beginning where she's yeah. kind of, you know, venting to her mom about how she's a writer. And I like how she's like, oh, I haven't, I can't write anything. I have writer's block. Um, and she's kind of looking for imagination. And they all find this game for different reasons. Right. And uh, that is about where the interesting characterization ends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, kind of. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, my gosh. <laughs> because... What do you what what should we talk about first? Do we want to talk about how each of them are aren't super consistent? Do we want to talk about the love triangle? Uh, oh my god, can you even call it a love triangle? I feel I felt like it was just like one dot connecting to one dot and then the dot connecting to the other dot after the other dot disconnected. Here's what I'll say, and I I, I say this as one of the greatest Tom Hanks fans yes. in the world for obvious reasons. Um, the chemistry between Robbie and or Robbie and Kate, which is Tom Hanks's character, and uh, Kate, uh, nothing compared to the chemistry between Daniel and Kate. I gotta say. I mean, Daniel, we I actually saw the bonus DVD footage, and it's all just what Daniel really Daniel and Katie having sex. It's a porn, <laughs> and it's, Daniel's able to do things for Katie that uh, Robbie never could. And I think it's important that that be known. <laughs> yeah, I well, I mean, in many ways you're you're speaking the truth. Um, in most ways you're speaking horrible lies. But uh, in the in the fa- in the sense that you're talking about, like by the time they actually have that conversation where the two of them are talking, to maybe you guys feel differently. But to me, it felt like oh, here's two characters that actually, for character reasons, kind of get together in a way that makes sense. Right. Because when, when we see Tom Hanks meet Kate, he's just like, you're very beautiful. And I'm like, wait, that worked? Yeah, I actually wanted to focus on that real quick. Just starting kind of at the beginning, the timeline at the beginning, Tom shows up, we're at the, or Robbie. Robbie shows up at this college, and we're all here meeting these characters, and he just looks at a girl. At this point, you know, who knows how big of a character Katie's going to be, but she's this beautiful woman, you know, the kind of women that play D&D. D&D. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Gifted lit, gifted literature, gifted English majors who, okay, anyway. Um, but Tom just looks at her and says, like, oh, it, it's literally bumping into someone for the first time, first time, oh, you're beautiful. And then she smiles, and they're together. It's the laziest meet cute I've ever seen in yeah. anything, let alone a, a movie. I mean, I mean, like, okay, but... I, I mean, I get it because it's Tom Hanks, and yeah, I'd probably fall in love with him too if he said I was beautiful, but come on. Okay, but like, do you find that less or more believable than Kate and Daniel getting together? Because I found that less believable. I could I could see jockey, good-looking Daniel being able to sweep Kate off her feet with his... Easily, oh, easily. Oh, oh I'm, not, I'm not talking about like the looks part. I'm, I'm just talking about like the way that it was written. Oh, I, I gotcha, actually, gotcha, gotcha. I still think it, it it made more sense when Kate and Daniel got together. Really? I feel like because they were both at that point where they were both frustrated and uh, dealing with like on on a character level. I feel like she was obviously she was rebounding. Yeah, um, exactly. But she was, she was coming out of a place where it's like, man, I don't even know anymore. And he was he's just been this guy who's like, I just kind of want a girl who'll be there. And I feel like they both found each other in an actually a decently written way. Certainly more so compared to. 
Robbie's come on the cave. Well, when was the first moment in this film that you actually felt like things were off the rails? Um, was there one moment that hit you first? By off the rails, do you mean it went batshit insane? Because like, I remember that moment. Yeah, just there's no way this could ever connect with regular life. Okay. By the way, this movie is from like 1982. Right. Yeah. And it's a made-for-TV movie for 1982. Yeah. So let's keep that. But I mean, um, you remember something? Okay. I'm curious. Okay. Um, there were two point. There were two like points. Points for me. Like one was like like okay, I'll roll with this, even though I don't believe it. But then there was one like okay, this yeah, this is okay. Um, the first moment where I was like mm, was was when they decided to do the game in a fucking cave. The LARPing? Yeah. When they actually, uh, actually, before we get into that, yeah. I, I want to jump in real quick. There is yeah. a moment before, because I think I know which two moments you're talking okay. about, because they okay. were fucking crazy. Um, there was a moment before that, though, where it really hit me. It's like, oh, this is going hardcore after school specially. And it's weird because it's dropped almost immediately, but it was actually the moment where JJ decides to commit suicide, and he's just kind of ranting to his bird, Merlin, um, which I love that little touch actually too, that he's taught a bird to say, birds don't talk. Yeah. Um, but he's talking about how he's a boy genius and he has to make it a big thing because he wants to have a legacy. Nobody cares about him. So he wants to kill himself in a way that everybody will be remembered. So this brings him to some caves and he's like, oh, everybody will remember this. And then as soon as he gets there, he's like, wait, this would be a great place to play Mazes and Monsters. Real quick 180 yeah. from uh, JJ. So it's like, you almost think like, oh, JJ is going to be where we're focusing on. Right. And he's going to be the problem kid. Because it kind of is built up that way with yeah. his character. Is it? And then they completely drop it. Outside of one instance where he just happens to actually commit suicide in the game for no reason. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was weird. Uh, but, but yeah, that was really fun. He basically is seriously considering suicide He's like, I need to, I'm going to kill myself. And then he's like, wait, this would be great for mazes and monsters. And just has a... I'll postpone. I'll postpone. I'll postpone. Yeah, that was a real weird moment. The alternative theory is that he's actually just occupying his brain with suicide because he's bored. Do you guys feel like that was the case? Or do you feel like he was legitimately suicidal and then just did a terrible 180 turn? Uh, I mean, I... Off the acting, I believe in the script they intended for him to be suicidal, but I think obviously the acting and the delivery did not in any way portray like an actual young man who's thinking about killing himself. It oh, was, definitely not. It yeah, was no concern. Was JJ's acting particularly shitty? <laughs> JJ's felt like real bad. Oh, real bad. And I, I mean, Tom, I mean, Felt real bad. <laughs> uh, JJ's bad. He was... There was something about him that it almost didn't distract me, though. Because, like, he was so bad, it worked for me. Because, like, I remember Daniel, I think, the least. I think he was the most boring character. And I think it wasn't because he was worse at acting. It was actually because he was at that, that middle ground of being, like, just good enough that he was invisible. Also, he, he did have the smallest part of right. the four, so that's fair. Like, but like JJ's acting, his it was so bad, it matched the quality of the movie, so it felt consistent for me. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was bad. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, okay, besides JJ, I think all the actors, they did their best with what they were given. I felt, I kind, of, I kind of felt that's correct. It's like they all, you could tell the other people were trying to bring it. Yeah. Like Katie was there, like freaking out about these like emotional mm -hmm. ups and downs. 
But then there was JJ. Yeah. It's just he was on another level of bad. Anyway, yeah, I'm yeah. glad you noticed that because you could tell the other people were definitely. They were trying. They were trying. They were trying. Yeah, JJ had a, which is weird because he got, he was the one who got the and credit. As if he was some notable person. Oh, up top? Yeah, up top of oh, the opening wow. credits. It was Tom Hanks, whoever, whoever, and blank is JJ. Wow. I'm sorry. I have the computer in front of me. I could check these people's names, but the yeah. truth is you don't know who they are. Yeah. <laughs> and no one else yeah. ever will. Never will. Um, so, oh God, they're probably the only people listening to this podcast. I'm sorry, guys. You're great. Except they're doing fine. They're doing just they're, fine. Anyway. They're alive. I think, yeah, I think an off-the-rails moment was that. And um, you were about to talk about the moment in the cave, though. So please, yes. d- dive into that. Okay, so so my first moment was like, "Hey guys, let's like play in a fucking cave that we're not supposed to go to." Then, then they um, all agree. They're right. like, "Oh yeah, let's do it." <laughs> right. And and like, okay, when I was going to say it was when when um, Robbie like ran into the pretend monster, but 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 like I was actually on board because I was like, okay, this might be where the movie's going. Like, there actually turns out to, to be like real monsters. That's what I thought. Like, yeah. I would have been like, okay, like I'm good with this. But then I think the actual what the fuck moment I had was when like he actually started like having dreams, like his dreams of um, Paul. Oh yes, his brother. His that, his tragic runaway brother. Yeah. That was that was the scariest part for me. Yeah, actually I have to say the the sequence that happened that followed immediately after the first <laughs> cave one where it cuts to his window and there's lightning coming in. I thought the lighting on the lightning was really good. This is the first time we heard that creepy music. So it was actually creepy instead of just monotonous cuz it kept coming back every scene. And uh yeah, that crawl up to him in his bed was actually I thought legitimately a little yeah. spooky. Yeah. Decent filmmaking there. Yeah. I yeah that and th- I thought the um, at later on towards the end of the movie when he was speaking with that homeless man yes I felt I felt that I like that there yeah there were moments that were like here's a mentally ill like there were shining moments like yeah the moment you you pulled out where he's talking to the homeless person like that's like oh this would be this would be a scene that's still in the good version of this movie you could sense yeah. what this movie. Little moments where you could sense what this movie could yes. have been. Yes. Chris is yes. very excited about yeah. this discovery. Yeah, I think we all had those moments. I would have loved, I can't believe that they just abandoned the cave and most of the movie was just them running around New York. Like, why not just contain, you have this unbelievable, weird, creepy cave system plot device. Mm-hmm. I would love to, for Tom Hanks to go crazy. Let's say you kept, there's, no, there's actually no monsters. Let's say it's really just a movie about mental illness. And the, he goes crazy in the cave, and now he's down there, and he's he has these delusions, and things just get real weird and creepy down in the cave. And the That's re- exciting to me. Instead, for no reason, he's brought to the Twin Towers, I and think, he's... Yeah. I think there was somewhat, like, the writer of the movie, or maybe the, it was in the book. Uh, we didn't do enough research on this one. Um came up with the thought that, oh, the two towers, Lord of the Rings, that's just like the Twin Towers. That's so clever, it has to be the climax of my movie. It's it's really not very clever. Everyone can come up with that idea. I think you're right. If they had done something where there was more sequences in the cave, because it could have been like the Goonies, where, oh, there was an unexplored shaft underneath the cave. Yeah, exactly. And it goes underwater a little bit, and it's really, like, it didn't have to be fantastical, but it could have been just an interesting landscape. Right, like, like the fact that the movie introduced itself, like, at the cave with all the police, with the police there, I thought the movie was going to end at the cave. Yeah, it's weird. They do this, this, uh, in media res with the, the police 
uh, showing up at the caves and it's like, there's a kid, there's a child inside and blah, blah, blah. And he's going crazy over mazes and monsters. And they get the, it, it's that classic movie device where you expect, oh, we're going to find out what happens at the end with the scene. And it's actually just an hour into the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like not halfway even that through. long. Yeah. It's, it's like so halfway funny. through and the police and the police are like, oh, it's probably. I, I remember uh, checking my, like yeah, the time. And I was like, are we yeah. almost done? Like, this doesn't feel right. Uh, that was an off the rails moment when we, for me, we're really like, just leave the caves and it's like, oh, we're just not sticking with the caves never anymore. Never going back, yeah. The moments that uh, shined in this movie were few and far between, but to get to a, to single in on some shining stuff, let's talk about Tom Hanks. All right. The reason why we're here today. Um, this was his first leading role in a uh-huh. movie. What do you guys think? Would, would you have seen this movie in 1982 and, and having obviously no idea where this guy's going, be like... This is a star. Was there ever a moment in this movie where you're like, that's a star-making scene. I can see this guy going places. Or was it just like, huh. not the case? Be per- be brutally honest with me here. I mean, no, I don't think I don't think he had any real star-shining moments. He obviously was the one out of the whole movie who had to do the heavy lifting acting-wise because he was the mentally ill guy. Mm-hmm. But, I mean... Was what he was doing in this movie something that was special in any way? Was special in any no, way? No, it's very perf- it's a perfunctory movie, and he did a it's a perfunctory role. But do you did you see a part where like this guy's got something? Like he was acting like when he was doing the mentally ill sequences. Do you re- did you really believe him, um, or did you feel like it was still just acting in a movie? I could feel some of his acting funny enough during like his dream sequences when he was talking to. Hall. Fake Hall. Mm-hmm. But, but like, I definitely didn't feel any of his acting when, when like, he was, like, you know, like, during the end when, like, he snapped out, out of, out of, like, his fantasy for a moment and he was, like, I don't know where I am right now. I didn't believe that part. I was going to say, I wanted, I did want to talk about the scene. I think it's the most compelling scene, but I don't think it's executed very well, but where he has his second fantasy sequence that we've seen in the movie where he imagines another monster, but it's really just two people mugging him, and he ends up taking out his sword, which is really a knife, and stabs the dude, and that's kind of what shocks him back for a moment anyway that to was lucidity. That wasn't, that wasn't bad. Um, what did you, yeah, what did you guys think of the, the whole scene? And, like, did he actually murder this guy, or was it just a mortal wound? Because it was hard to tell from the way he, they left. I thought I remember the the last couple seconds as they faded off the guy who was stabbed. He he looked okay. Does he actually seemed okay? Yeah, right, yeah. that's what I thought yeah. too. It yeah. didn't seem like he was gonna die. I guess he Flesh missed wound. his vitals. Flesh wound. Yeah. Yeah, and this is I mean, let's be honest, this kind of guy looked like he got stabbed every other week. So And I love how I mean it's just it's not, of course there Tom Hanks slash Robbie is with his knife and the thug has a buddy. In re- obviously, in real life, the friend would have just jumped him right away, and he he would be down in two seconds. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, oh my god, I've never seen anyone stab stab someone. <laughs> yeah, before. yeah. But instead, the 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 thug friend is just sitting back, hanging out, not attacking. Like, yeah. oh, I, what's what's happening? Oh my god, I had no idea that you had a knife and that you could defend yourself. I'm so in shock. This is my first time trying to mug <laughs> yeah. someone. I'm a new thug. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I found, yeah, I found that sequence interesting. And when we had the break and he calls Katie uh, from a payphone, I thought that was decent. I don't yeah. know if I saw like a star making role in that acting, that crying, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Like I said, it's a little, it's a little schmackty. But I will say in his defense, I think what 
proves that he has the presence and obviously went to find a much greater strength in acting yes. um, and have this great career is because it's only the scenes where he's actually on screen where I'm kind of into the movie. Right. There's a whole sequence totally. where we watch JJ go fuck around the caves where he's going to commit suicide. It's like, just get over it already. Yeah. We don't care. And then there's like, do you guys remember in the middle of the movie for no reason? Like, we're, we're stalling on the Tom Hanks story. JJ's story doesn't exist anymore. But for some reason, Katie goes to meet with Daniel in the caves and then gets lost. And for a moment, I thought that was going to be the movie. Like, Tom Hanks was going to come in and like have delusions about yeah. having to save the princess or something. Yeah. But no, it's just like a... What, a seven-minute sequence where okay. she's... Nothing happened. I what the honest, fuck yeah. was that? I honestly thought I just missed something. I honestly thought, like, while I was watching, I was like, did I miss something? Like, what? what's going on? Like, like, how did she get here? Like, I'm pretty sure I watched the movie. Did I black out for a second or something? I, the you're only not wrong. Reason, I had that feeling, too. The only, the only way you can rationalize that scene is I... Had they gotten together yet at that point? I think that was... They, they had the conversation where they were kind of like, let's get together... It could have been like this is the first time they. I think that scene was trying to build up, up their relationship. Yeah, and Which it just was... had to be a seven minute, yeah, seven minute scene of just them wandering around the cave. I love hooking up in caves. Yeah, yeah. which they didn't really. I don't even remember them hooking up because didn't they leave as soon as they found right. each other? Yeah. So it was like and, it was weird, and that wasn't what motivated Tom Hanks to go crazy anyway. It was a complete yeah. waste of time. Yeah, I love the slow walk. Tom's slow walk with a shroud through the party. Mm -hmm. Oh, that leaves. was funny. That was funny. I I, I like that. I There's like a that. moment of gravitas for our boy. Um, yeah, like I would say that I definitely saw inklings of like a very talented actor. Mm -hmm. In like it had his moments, and like I said before, he was doing a good job with what he was given. Yeah. But but like just because of what he was given, it, and I'm pretty sure that he probably had just from experience alone. He probably got a lot better since that move, since this movie, obviously. Do we know his next movie? And okay. I think the next big movie he was in was Splash. Oh, which really? Is like, and I remember we just did a podcast on that actually last week okay. for you, dear listeners. And that was a, a situation in which he was the seventh, or at least rumored to be the seventh choice for the main character. Wow. So that was before he was a big hit. I think Splash kind of like made a splash in his career and it was like hey this guy's got something and then of course it wasn't until big where it was like this guy is a the most likable man on the planet mm -hmm. a man yep. deserving of his own podcast yeah yes his own podcast that he is not on he's welcome anytime <laughs> Tom if you're out there baby give me a call hit me up on at Tom Hanks pod we'll get you on the next episode we'll get you on every episode we'll re-release the old ones whatever you want uh, so you guys are the D&D &D experts here yeah. Uh, at least by comparison. Um, <laughs> how accurate is Mazes and Monsters? I mean, did this game look fun in the way that D&D is fun? David, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like they kind of mulled over any of the details that would... that They mulled over most of the details, right? It was mainly just like, this is my name. I'm going to attack this person. Oh, you're dead. I'm, I'm the maze controller. Yeah, I mean, A, they never actually got into any mechanics thank god of the actual <laughs> game beyond like one or two lines of like like kind of cliche D, D speak i don't even think there was any dice in this game there was one scene was there where they remember there was like a shot of them holding right. out a hand and dice fell or something yeah there was never like a roll me of this though yeah and and, and like and like you need a you're supposed to figure out some way to roll dice if you're in a cave and they 
Like, yeah. it was just like all like, I don't know. But where they got it wrong is, and I'm not a hardcore D&D nerd, but I, uh, I've definitely uh, played D&D on and off throughout my life. I'm a huge D&D fan. I love playing. Yeah. And um, yeah, it, they unfortunately portrayed the game. People playing the game in this movie were very much like a little bit cartoon versions of a D&D player. So it was like, right, you they, know, and I raise my sword and I strike the monster. It's like they were theater in the rounding each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. When, of course, an actual D&D game is more about hanging with your friends and improvising. Yeah, It's kind of yeah. loosey-goosey, and it's more of like a riffy environment. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, like they almost were LARPing more than playing D&D. They were mm-hmm. LARPing more than they were playing and, and D&D. I, and I think that's a misconception that a lot of people have about the D&D world, is that it's just a bunch of, like, people that forget that they're themselves for a Yeah. Time. Which was definitely the panic of the time and what inspired the novel, oh which God. inspired the movie. Also, can I just say that they probably could have used more candles during each of their sessions. <laughs> they could have yeah. used a couple more lights in the whole movie. This yeah. thing was dark. You could not see most like, of like it. Like, I usually, like, I would say that I probably use twice as many candles when I play D&D. I mean, even when I just am solo reading the D&D Adventurer's Guide, I light many more candles. <laughs> Alone in my room, there's more candles. Yeah, I mean, like, I obviously have so much time in my life that I can light all those candles. And just really make the environment correct. Yes. Um, so, yeah, uh, obviously, I mean, don't get me wrong, D&D is still nerdy, and the times that I've gone and played D&D with groups and stuff, it's still a, a nerd scene. But um, it's, and with your share of actual nerd weirdos who are a little off the rails and it's mm-hmm. definitely in that, to this day, you can go to a hobby shop, and it, it's not a hip scene by any stretch. No. But people are still, in general, themselves having fun, and you would treat it, the tone is more of like a tabletop board game. It's people, cl- closer to Monopoly, it's, then. It's closer, the lang- we're, we're just being ourselves, as opposed to, yeah, the game made it sound LARPing where we're in some kind of character, and it was way that, that was my next question. You guys play D&D for at least periods of time. Mm-hmm. I've only played it the one time. Did you guys ever feel like you were possessed by your character? Did you ever get into a pl- position where you were like forgetting your real life? No. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean like... So you're saying this movie isn't completely inaccurate. I mean, okay. I think there are a lot of times where you do have to put yourself in a, your character's shoes and be like, okay, what would my character say? Because like this this story isn't technically about me, it's about my character, even though like the lines are blurred between what that means. And But were the lines really blurred, Chris? Were you ever legitimately confused I mean, who you were? No. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but go yeah. ahead, g- g- give me give your full explanation. Oh, I um, mean like I was I was just gonna say say that like you can make it as theater like you, you can make it as in character or out of or out of character as you want. Like me and David, we've played together and like we go in and out of character a lot. And I think that's like the healthy way to play D D. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately this movie took the one the one instance where someone in real life went off the rails. Right, like the one percent. The one percent of one percent that happened. And which then, after some no, you know, nominal research actually proves that it wasn't about Dungeons and Dragons. Exactly. Whatsoever. He was just straight up 
I actually didn't. Re- I remember hearing about it and reading about it. It's been so long. Egbert was just a straight up mentally ill dude. Yeah, and he did, he didn't die when he went missing. He just disappeared. He ended okay. up committing suicide a year later. Okay. But yeah, he just had some problems. It had nothing to do with the game. It was just an unfortunate coincidence. It's like uh, how people like to blame TV for why kids totally. spring up, or now yeah. it's video games, and then yeah. it's the internet, and who knows what it is. Yeah. Uh, it's gonna be. Tom Hanks podcasts next week. So these kids listen to that Tom Hanks podcast. So actually, there was a there was a moment there where you thought there was going to be actual magic in the movie. Yeah, I, I think we're agreed that that would have been a more interesting movie. But because it wasn't, do you feel like what is this movie trying to say? Because its intended purpose is to come down hard down on. D&D use. It's almost like it's drug use for your kids. It's like a cautionary tale, like dare or something. But when you actually look at what happens in the movie, okay. what does it actually say? Okay, I don't even know like if the movie knows what it's trying to say, honestly. Because, like, yeah, I, like, I can see that that is kind of the obvious intention of the movie is to like, kind of like put D&D in a really shitty light. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, you have three characters that are normal that are playing mazes and monsters and 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 so like i'm really not getting i wasn't getting like a strong a very strong message per se of like dd is bad because it'll ruin everybody yeah because that's an interesting point all of the characters all four of the main characters are kind of they come from troubled backgrounds or at least they're having frustrated problems with life before they start playing the game so it's not there, there's never the movie never makes the point that it's the game specifically that messes them up. Even with the one character who goes psychotic, it's not the game. It's kind of his obsession with his long-lost brother. Yeah. And maybe the breakup with Kate. But he broke up with her. Okay, so it was a little weird. But it it doesn't really... It doesn't really put the onus on the game. Yeah. It's just kind of like the, the, the police... The lieutenant, the police lieutenant, and the characters around him, the parents are the ones that place the onus on the game. Not even the movie kind of tends to do that. It's, it's weird. Like, it feels like it's using, a, like, a RPG game, D&D, as, like, a plot device and nothing, like, as a plot device and nothing else, if that makes sense. Like, it, it feels like it's just, like, using it... It didn't commit to it as much as I thought it was going to. Yeah, it's, re- it's certainly... <clears throat> excuse me. It's certainly interchangeable, where the uh, movie, unfortunately, that's about D&D even if it's a, putting it in a negative light, doesn't even have anything to say about D&D. You could have swapped out D&D totally. for Monopoly, for cocaine, for yeah. marijuana, anything, and it wouldn't have affected really... It, it, that's the problem. I think the biggest part with the movie is like it has nothing to personally say about its topic of choice. It, exactly, and, and, and like... It just becomes kind of boring. And yeah, and, and, and like it's not even that... like. It's the fact that they made Mazes and Monsters the title of the movie, and and they marketed it as, like, you know, with the characters in, like, fantasy regalia. Mm -hmm. And I think you could even do this kind of movie where it's like, we're going to... We're going to trick the audience into thinking they're going to watch something that's high fantasy, and then, like show them how wrong it could be. Like, you can kind of do that Uh. hook and purpose. But you still have to have something in the movie that's actually saying something about the property. Yeah. And it kind of it kind of wasn't. I mean, I thought the I mean, if you guys remember, I actually wrote it down because the final line of the movie, obviously they just they show up at Robbie's house. Oh, actually before we cuz I do want to talk about the ending. You want to type want to dedicate a little time? Yeah, like, okay. and, and actually okay. let's build okay. up to that, but right before uh, cuz I want to ask you guys 
there's a whole port, there's a whole terrible sequence in the middle of the movie where Tom Hanks has gone missing, and then there's nothing to watch on screen. Uh, at any point in the movie, did you actually think he was dead? He had committed suicide. What at that like in that middle section when the characters are just as confused? Um, were you confused as they were? Did you think he could actually be dead? Were you? I thought no. I mean, I knew Tom was the star of the movie, so I I, I really didn't think they would kill him off. Then then my next question is: Do you think did was there ever a moment where you thought he was going to jump at the end when he was on the tower? No, I because that would have been too much. Yeah, I I honestly wasn't sure how hard this movie was going to hit really? on negative. So I thought for a moment he might jump. I mean, like, this movie is, like, oddly dark in places where it's weird to be dark. But at the same time, like, I kind of felt like I had a general understanding of, like, what what people were going for with this movie, with the people that made this movie, mm-hmm. what they were going for in terms of, like, the cheese of it, like, just how cheesy it was. So I was kind of, like, basing it off of the cheesiness where I was like, mm, he's probably not going to actually die. Yeah, so you you, you say, like, the movie's kind of like this toothless uh, yes. portrayal, or, like, um, co- condemnation. It's a toothless condemnation of D&D. Yes. It doesn't even, like, go far enough. Although, one could argue that the way the movie does end, oh. which... Okay, yeah, let's, let's talk. Let's bring I was about quote. to say. I mean, the ending is, I think... I don't remember another movie in recent history that's just been a sheer loss and a just no just a complete loss and a it's, sad ending it might have been a happier ending if he had jumped because it, it would have been a, it would have been more satisfying that that's the thing like yeah. it wasn't satisfying because for and for people who are doing who are doing the podcast wrong and haven't watched the movie here's here's the context um a the movie ends, they catch him on the end of the Twin Towers, and he kind of breaks, and he's back to being Robbie again. And there's a crying, and there's hugging, and there's this terrible song that plays. Oh, my God. Can we talk about the song for a second? (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about the song. Let's talk about the song for a second. Wherever you'll be. (laughs) Yeah. It's such a shitty song. It's, oh, my God. What I loved is how... Um, how prevalent the word friend was. So for me, it just felt like this is like the garbage, terrible version of you've got a friend in me. Oh my God. It's like, it's like my, like almost trying to be like my little pony with like the power of friendship. It's always almost, it has that like the, the instrument, the instrumentality of like the last unicorn. Yeah. It's so sad and sappy. Like, like you have a song about friendship, but then you have like a, you're losing a friend to mental illness. Like What? Is yeah. going on here? Yeah, that like, juxtaposition yeah, is like, nuts. Like, you, but at the moment when it plays, you think, "Oh, everything's gonna be fine." Yeah, because he breaks out of his stupor. Yeah, but then it just cuts to three months later, and the the three friends are driving to go see Robbie at home because they won't let him back at school for maybe he got expelled. We're not sure, but it turns out. His mom says, oh, he's fine, and I don't blame any of you for what happened. Which, that just seemed like the most passive-aggressive way to blame someone, is to bring it up and say that. I mean, I believe the mom when she said it. I believe her. I didn't for a second believe the mom. <laughs> what did you think, David? Break the tie. Uh, I mean, I actually believed the acting of the mom in the moment, but that the fact that a mom would actually say that to someone like... I don't blame you for a second. It was just a real weird choice for a human being to make. Yeah, that, that's for me. Yeah, yeah like the, the mom writing. Did, 
There was a writing. It was bad yeah, writing. For yeah, me. it wasn't the it wasn't the acting, but it was. Yeah, the problem for me was like, <clears throat> you if you genuinely meant that, you would never say something. Exactly. Like like if you yeah. actually thought that, you just don't say anything to them, right? Because that that only invites the thought that maybe it was me. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe, yeah, and it's that just felt like. So I took it as like the mom was really shittily angry with these people. Huh. Um, but then yeah, so they continue down and they meet. Tom Hanks in his incredibly large backyard because apparently his parents are really successful. Uh, Yeah. And he's completely flipped. He's the most in character that he's ever been. He, like, even when they're at the towers, he doesn't recognize them. He doesn't break character initially, but he doesn't recognize them as the players they used to play or the characters they used to play. But he he recognizes, Freelick, you died in the thing. And he's just gone. And... It's not an act, and the movie ends on this, this quote that David wrote down. The movie ends on basically Katie, a little voiceover. So basically what happens is... Katie gets her happy ending. She becomes a writer. Tom, Tom, we end on... Um, basically, Tom's fully... He's loony. He's in character as his priest character, and he invites all three of them into the forest near his home to just continue playing Mazes and Monsters. One last quest. One last quest. And they they kind of acquiesce and go with him to play, sadly realizing that their friend is completely insane. And then as they walk off into the forest, Katie's VO comes on. And the final line is, we saw nothing but the death of hope and the loss of our friend. And then they just walk off into the forest with this music, I believe, that the music's playing. That same song. Wherever and you'll be. It's just like, I get that it's very American to want a happy ending to a movie, and it's kind of unrealistic to expect happy endings uh, all the time, and it's kind of um, uncultured to want that. Uh, but something felt like this was just yeah the the execution of this oh shitty my God, ending it was so bad uh, <laughs> like bad endings can be satisfying but this was not satisfying like like well usually the movie before it leads to a bad ending i don't think this movie led to the moment on the the top of the tower it did not lead to this coda where it yeah, reverses yeah. everything that's exactly, exactly. It. it reversed everything like it didn't commit to like one thing it it was like Oh, like he's like he, he snapped out of it. He's fine now, and now and then. Oh, oh, oh! It it almost seems like it was written to be the twi- the tower scene where they find him and he breaks the spell essentially, and it's like guys, this was a terrible thing. We're all gonna be okay now. But the studio heads or whoever the powers that be were who had this agenda to be like, no, D and D is bad. You can't come oh. back from it. Oh my they god, they maybe that makes sense. wrote this. And again, I don't know the how the book is written. If this is in the book, but it seems like that kind of decision where oh it's like, god. no, we have to hit hard that this is a bad thing. Okay, but yeah. can I just say that even even the coda that was is theoretically tacked on. What the fuck is with the mom being like, oh, he's totally fine, it's fine. But then, like, it turns out that he's fucking not fine. Oh, yeah, if you remember when they're in the front, they pull up to the home. Yeah. If you remember, the mom says, yeah, yeah, just like you said, he's fine. There's a moment, a beat, where they show the mother giving a real worried look. Yeah. What What is wrong with you? What is wrong with that mom? mom, Did the mom, the mom was like, oh, he's fine. Oh, you're about to go see him in five seconds and realize he's completely insane. (laughs) So. What is this? If all we can base it off of is the text, it leads to me to believe that this mom is trying to 
blame it on the kids. Like, she does this passive-aggressive mentioning, it wasn't your fault, and then she says, everything's going to be fine. I think she's doing it just to destroy them. Yeah. Which is, yeah. like, yikes. But, I mean, more power to you, Mom. That kind of fucked up your kid. Although he was messed up to begin with. that That's another question. Did this... Was this was Tom Hanks' character doomed to go down this path? Was this always going to be Robbie? I mean, Even if he didn't play d and I mean, that's what the movie was implying, right? The movie was implying that, like, oh, if he just didn't play Mazes and Monsters, then he'd be fine. That's... We have to respect the universe that this movie happens in, and... <laughs> If he had never played Mazes and Monsters, he would have gone on to become a well-respected diplomat and brought mm-hmm. nations together as an intellect and then gone on to win whatever... What's the, what's the most highly claimed intellectual prize a person can win? The Nobel McCarthy Peace Award Prize? or something? Well, yeah. no. I mean, per this movie, it was Mazes and Monsters that ruined him. I think it was a reminder of how important it is to have an arc and how much we want an arc. And when that just sad ending happened, there was no arc to Tom Hanks... And like it or not, I think you have to have an arc. Yeah, like it felt, this movie felt like it was, it was like a bunch of writers playing a game of telephone. Now, okay, yeah. that's, that's probably a good point. Um, and again, I, I should have looked into this because I'm now interested in how much differences there are between the original novel and the movie. Although I do know that the novel was written without proper research to capitalize on this paranoia. <laughs> she just had an agenda. I yeah. Think in, yeah. So, but but now I'm uh, based off of the movie's text itself. Uh, we can insinuate that uh, Mazes and Monsters is a bad thing. Yes. So, do you feel like in the movie's justice is Tom Hanks served appropriately, considering he he was basically a junkie on the bad thing that is Mazes and Monsters, and potentially murdered someone? Does he deserve this fate? Or did he deserve the redemption that we got at the t- at the tower scene? We're getting deep here. Uh, I would have no. I mean, I would have preferred the tower ending because, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just. I mean, obviously, it feels better to. It, be, it would have just shown Ark and the friends coming to the rescue, and it's more of a feel good ending, um, which you know I I don't want to cover that up. Like, oh, I just want a feel good ending. But um, but again, it's it's the ending that the movie had been building toward. That yeah, you can feel it like that's where the te- I mean, obviously, it's not a great movie up until then. Right. Okay. But but it, it's and the pieces are going to this exactly. Point. Like either way, whether or not Tom, like I think the movie should have ended at the tower. Whether or not he actually like the friends were too late and, and he killed himself, or they rescued him. That the movie should have ended uh, there. So you're saying even on a on a completely tonally level, the timing was like... Yes. It's the tower or nothing, guys. It's, it's not Lord yeah, of the Rings. Yeah, that's a good point. It's, uh, you if can't you're going to go sad fatigue. ending, have him jump. Yeah. But it has to happen at the tower. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like, part of me was thinking he was going to jump because of how, like... I, I had never heard for sure that would, that it happened in this movie, but I knew this movie was like a an early, weird Tom Hanks movie. You're right, so yeah. it could have... But yeah, you're right. If he had jumped there, it kind of would have been... Less, at least less whiplash. Cause they, totally. It, it seems like, oh, everything's fine, and then, nope, everything's not. Right. Fine. I mean, like, if, if we wanted to, if they wanted to commit to, like, hating on nerds and Dungeons and & Dragons, then they should have just had Tom Hanks kill himself. Yeah, or kill these other characters, because, like, that's kind of what the <laughs> paranoia... I mean, obviously, we didn't need to see them... I would, love to, I would love to but. see how the writers would have come up with a way to just kill all... All of them. At the he same just time. overpowers them and throws Daniel off the roof. Hey, technically, if he's committed to his quest and his quest mates 
are trying to stop him. You could argue in a writer's room that oh Tom Hanks would have brought that knife out and been like, I have to do this, and I know that you're my friends, but if you stop me from jumping off this tower, and what was it, casting a spell? Yeah. Who's going to cast a spell to, to fly. fly? Then I have to kill you if you try and stop me because mm-hmm. this is my absolute... This is I mean, my destiny. This is my destiny. Yeah, I man. mean, you could argue you could argue that Tom Hanks slaughters all of his friends. Oh, that would have been a good ending. I would I would have been down for that ending. Just like, and it gets super like the filmmaking just gets super gory. Yeah, like if you're gonna like if you're gonna commit to hating on on D and D, then you then like you need to. They should have committed to it. They didn't yeah. commit. There wasn't enough. The the biggest problems of the movie outside of it just being bad, <laughs> is that they didn't commit to. Their their message, which was like D and D is bad, and they didn't have anything purposeful to say about D and D. They didn't do anything useful in a in a condemnation way, or even just like there's no personality of D and D in the movie. When we cut to the sequences where they're playing D and D, it's incredibly boring. It's, it's incredibly very hand wavy. It's yeah. It's like this is the thing that you've heard of, but we're not going to get specific with it. Almost as if the filmmakers were worried that if they showed the actual gameplay it might entice viewers yeah. to get involved. Oh my yeah. gosh, all these different dice, and what are these fun things that they're doing? So we always do this thing on the on the podcast where we talk about the Hanksiest line in a movie. Most of the time he hits at this point where Tom Hanks hits that like that perfect, you know, sh- you, you know that voice where he does his shouty little voice where it's like, uh, like a like a Woody line, like "You are a toy," and he just has that shrill kind of yeah. shriek. Um, and he doesn't have it in every movie. Granted, uh, like in the the Lady Killers, he pretty much sticks to his very terrible accent the whole time. Um, his Hanksent. In this movie, there was one moment where I remember him calling out in a very Hanksy voice. Do you guys remember anything specifically? Did that register? The Hanksiness it, it registered with me once again when he was talking to. Paul in his dreams. Yeah, yeah. His dreams, he was kind of shouting. Yeah, he was like, it's always, when it's always when he's really shouty. I think the one that hit for me the most is, I can't remember the context. I know they were in the cave uh, when they started, oh. first started the Ooh, LARPing. Yeah. But he goes, is it helpful? I can't remember who he's yelling at yes, to. But yes, you guys yes, remember yes, that I line? I remember that. And that sounds like classic Hanks. Like, that's how to Turner and Hooch right there. Is it helpful? Uh, what was happening there? I don't remember. Because I, I think they all three called out to someone. It was right before they split up into groups. Was that when he was having the vision of the first dragon coming into the cave? He was Tom. They were on the cave. Tom thinks he sees a monster and he's yell. He's yelling, mm-hmm. and his friends are trying to find him in the cave, but he does kill the dragon, right? Yeah. He Is assumes. it something around that? It's. I think it's before he sees the dragon. Okay. I think it's. I forget. I, yeah, I, it's something right around there. Our mind's like, already. You guys remember the out. line yeah. and how shouty it is. That I think is. I, I mean, he kind of had a shouty moment when he was on the phone and he was like, "There's blood on my knife." There's blood on my knife and my hands. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, that's a really that was good. Thank you. That's that a, this is more of, of a Hanksy wail, but yeah, it's, it, that was pretty good too. Like it that had some Hanksy. of that, that Hank Hank like rap rasp to it. Hey, there's a, actually the, it's interesting that we we single out the phone booth scene because there is a, a tradition now that. A lot of Hanksy lines come out when he's on the phone. When he, wow. we talked about, uh, you haven't seen Bridge of Spies yet, but there's okay. a moment where he's on a payphone in Bridge of Spies, and he just gives the Hanksiest, charmiest line. Yeah, so, you're right. Yeah, it's it's wonderful stuff. Um, now I gotta say, as the D and D experts for this podcast, um, if the li- the viewer has, if the listener here has watched this movie or at least listened to us talk about this movie, yeah, 
What could you say to them about D&D? Do you want to warn them? Do you want to invite them to play? What do you want? What is the proper note you want them to leave with uh, in their mind? David, you go first. Take it away. I mean, listen, D&D is a lot of fun, but it's still kind of a nerdy, it's still kind of a nerdy thing to do. And at the heart, you know, listener, you know in your heart if you're a nerd or not. Do you want to basically do a UCB class except in medieval times with a bunch of other 99% of the time other dudes and are and just act like a, a weirdo? It could be your thing, but it's not going to help you pull tail. I'll tell you that right now. I want to meet the person who is listening to a Tom Hanks-specific podcast who is not a nerd. I mean, true. true. <laughs> yeah, maybe you, you maybe the di- right. maybe the Venn diagram circles are heavily overlapped yeah. there. Mm-hmm. This is almost a complete but, um, circle. I mean, it's super fun, <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's definitely a still a subculture thing for all yeah. the for all the hype that kind of like nerd and comic book cultures in the mainstream right now. Uh, I you know it's there, but I mean you know. I mean, is, like yeah. Sorry, go ahead. It's just it's still subculture. Yeah, I mean, like I would say that there is like. There's a learning curve, and, like, you do get a sense of otherness when you first, like, look at someone, like, like dive into that scene. But, like, everybody that plays D&D is harmless. Like, like, For sure. Like, there's nothing, like, like we don't light fucking candles around us when we, like, like we don't, like, dress up and shit. We don't, we, we don't go, like, oh, you know what would make this game more interesting? If we went to somewhere dangerous that we're not supposed to go to. Yeah, those are the people who, uh, they, they're not playing the game, they're... They're thrill seekers. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. This is the only thing. Uh, as the the only uh, as the the person who played it just the one time, uh, I can say it probably wasn't for me. But I really enjoyed having done the experience, and of course, getting to hang out with you guys in a more um, non work related yeah, capacity yeah. it was fantastic. So I got to say, if you're out there and you haven't tried it, but you're even minorly interested, give it give it a once. One because it's fun. One try. Even if you don't, this is not your thing. It's fun to do it once. And, and you can say that you've done it, and like you you'll have a better understanding of the of the culture. Now, real quick, I remember uh, when we were briefly not recording, you were saying something about how back in the day there was this kind of danger to being a nerd or yeah. nerd culture. Did you have anything more specific to say about that? Sure. Um, like I was just telling talking to David saying that like in the beginning of the movie I was I was hoping that this movie uh, would either be a fantasy like a like a fantasy movie like the Twilight Zone you know like fantasy mm-hmm. coming to life or it would be a, a movie about like kind of showing how valuable gaming can be to like troubled kids you know like troubled people like our characters because that's kind of what the premise was mazes and monsters could actually help Tom Hanks's character yeah yes and but but like they just the movie just took a shit on. Although in the it's weird, like the first thirty minutes of the movie where they've joined this community and they started to play, it actually advocates playing. Yeah, yeah. all these people like are were having happy. these frustrations, and they play the game to get out those frustrations. You're right, and it brought them together. It, I mean, it was a terrible, terribly written love story, but it actually made two people to get together and the friends obviously that rarely was, happens. Yeah, that that one happened in That was the fantasy, but. <laughs> but uh, I had already masturbated by that time. But yeah. I mean, at that point in the movie, I was like almost asleep. I mean, Dave and I, we went on a few dates mm-hmm. yeah. before, but I mean, nothing ever worked out. We were too different. And I, I mean, can tell you, just, they, we gave it a shot. <laughs> that's the important thing. And you should give it a shot too, uh, to go back into the D&D. So the last thing we have to do, gentlemen, um, is every time we, we do this, we compare all Tom Hanks movies to an ice cream flavor. And now, what possible flavor... <laughs> 
would you guys want to give to Mazes and Monsters? Ooh! Ooh! Okay. The fact remains that this is just a bad movie. Yeah. And I think that what is the, the question, the answer is what is the shittiest flavor of ice cream? I can't, I can't think of like a bad ice cream flavor. That's the problem. Most ice cream is really good. Uh, like, like the, the worst ice cream flavor I can think of is like bubble gum. But here's the thing, like this is an ice cream that has to have not even tried. It's not like what kind of ice it's cream not even try? vanilla. So, I'm so gonna, I said, think this is the rum raisin. Rum raisin. I'm gonna go rum raisin right, on yeah. this one. All right, let's 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 cast this down, um, listeners. If you have a different thought on what uh, this should be, then get in touch with us uh, on Twitter at Tom Hanks Pod or write to us um, Tom Hanks Pod at gmail.com. Of course, you can follow me uh, um, uh, on at Elvis Kunish on Twitter and Instagram. Guys, what do you got to plug? What's going on? Where are they gonna? Where can the, the people find you? Oh, um, uh, I've got just YouTube David Cope and enjoy my videos. That's all I have to do. There's a lot of videos, and if you haven't seen them, uh, you should definitely check them out. Chris? Uh, I have a YouTube channel as well. Uh, it's One Winged Wannabe, um, and I talk about um, race, gender, and geeky stuff. All sorts of fun stuff. Stuff you would not get in a Mazes and Monsters yeah. movie. But uh, if you're into that stuff, check out these guys' channel. And uh, anything else? That's it, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for having us. This was so fun. Absolutely. Um, you guys are welcome to come back. Maybe we'll do into a different tabletop Tom Hanks in the future. Absolutely. And, uh, there's been another. I don't think so. Okay. But um, <laughs> there is going to be a lot of fun in the future. Uh, audience, do not forget to come back next week when we do uh, a long time coming, the 20th anniversary podcast for Toy Story. Wow. Yeah. It's been that long. We're going to talk about it. It's going to be great. It's going to be a beast. Um, until then, uh, just remember that the most frightening monsters are the ones that exist in our minds. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Tom Hanks is a friend you can turn to when cold winds blow. Now and forever, a friend. <laughs>